Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Did you know that introducing your baby to fresh, authentic tastes as early as possible forms healthy and adventurous eating habits that will last your child a lifetime? As all of you mothers know, cooking new and different recipes from scratch is easier said than done in the great motherhood juggle. And that's why I'm delighted to be able to tell you about Little Tummy, a new cold-pressed organic baby food delivery. As well as being delicious, all recipes are designed by paediatrician Dr. Sophie Niedermeyer with ingredients thoughtfully sourced to give your little one the energy and nutrients to live life to the full. Little Tummy can deliver every or every other week. And even better, they're offering our listeners 50% off their first order. So go check it out. You can find out more at littletummy.co. No UK in there, remember. And use the discount, The Parenthood, all capitals, one word, to get 50% off. Thank you to Little Tummy. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. We're good on this podcast talking about the bad things in life, those parts of parenting that no class can prepare you for because you wish above everything else that it won't happen to you. Baby loss is about the worst thing that can happen to an expectant mother and the episodes where we've had conversations about this subject have been some of our most downloaded. This week I've got two extremely brave women with me, women who I admire hugely. And while the babies we're talking about were born nearly six years apart, they're bound by the fact that they were both pregnant with twins and due to TTS, a condition in which the placenta nourishes one twin and not the other, lost one of their twins. Kitty Wangraff gave birth to Margot and Willa in 2013 and while she got to hold and cherish Willa, she had to say goodbye to Margot. Katie Schiff gave birth to Constance and Faith in 2018 and while Constance is a bouncing baby here today, Faith never got to live outside the uterus. Thank you both for coming here today. It's a difficult conversation to have but you two are so good at talking about it and brave and that I know has already made a huge difference to lots of people. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. How have you found, you know, being honest? I mean, Katie, you've written a blog um, about the whole experience of losing a twin. How important was talking to people during and, and after the whole experience? Yeah, I think the blog I had to write. It was an isolating time because Constance was in the NICU in hospital and Faith was in the morgue at the same hospital. And I was going to and fro from home, which was very quiet at that stage without a baby in it and the blog enabled me to get all my emotions out and let people know what had truly happened to us when the pregnancy I'd been so locked away in to try and protect myself because I just didn't know whether one or both might not survive so the blog was an amazing way for me to feel connected to people and to explain what had happened. 
And uh, Kitty, how about you? Did you, I know you were on the bump class and mm. that's how we first met yeah. and you were doing an antenatal class with a lot of other women. And I remember you being very worried about the sort of tragedy that was unfolding in mm. your life and its impact, you know, really selflessly on the other girls in the class. Was it something you talked openly about to your friends or was it something you, you felt better kind of keeping quiet? I think after it happened, I didn't really want to talk about it. Anyway, especially not someone who was about to have a baby because I felt it was cruel to bring up anything about babies dying so as the class went on the odd person knew and then I think they must have all told each other and everyone knew but it, it, quite quickly I suppose everyone knew and, and we didn't really talk about it but I knew they, you know, they said kind words every now and again so they were really um, sensitive but outside of that I didn't really want to talk to anyone about it and about being honest was it more came out as kind of anger when people would overstep the mark like touch my belly and say things like oh you must be having twins when I you don't know them and like a woman in Starbucks did that to me I remember saying that's the dead one can you stop touching my belly which is really cruel but I just I'd had enough of kind of going home and crying about it and thinking I wish I'd said that so then I just started saying that whatever was in my head or repeating something if someone said something I thought wasn't very sensitive I'd repeat the exact words back to them so they could hear what they'd said to me which is probably quite cruel as well but it made me feel better. Because both Faith and Margot died quite late on in the pregnancy and you obviously carried them until both of your twins were born. Mm. How did you how did you tell people that, you know, presumably you told people you were having twins once you get past mm. 12 weeks and we're sort of given to believe that if you get past 12 weeks, everything's fine. It's a difficult conversation to have. How did, but you sort of want people to know. Mm. How did you, did you, how did you tell people? I think I remember going, I think I locked myself away, actually. I don't think I did tell that many people. I think I told very close friends that, the pregnancy was becoming incredibly tricky. Um, I had operations into my tummy, um, which meant that going out and doing anything social frightened me because people do touch your bump and they do smile and jolly about how big your bump is and how exciting about the twins. And I couldn't face it. I didn't want anyone to touch my tummy. It was so tender and sore. And I was so panicked. I thought I was potentially going to lose them both that I actually, I didn't, I didn't really want to tell people what was going on. I just kept it via text or call to really close friends. And aside from that, I sort of locked myself away. I get that you didn't want to talk about it, but did you want people to know so that they could not make inappropriate comments? Yes, when they were both born, but up to the stage of birth, I didn't know. With TTTS, one of the biggest problems is you really don't know until that baby has breathed its first breath whether it's going to survive or both are going to survive or neither. So I think... I didn't know what was going to happen in the pregnancy. How could I tell other people what might or might not happen? And then, of course, Constance was in NICU for, for quite a long yeah, time. for seven weeks, exactly. And at that stage, I had the blog out, and that was my way of communicating the joy, but also the devastation. But had you told people that you were having twins? Yeah, everyone knew, and you were so excited about it. And you, 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 you imagine your future, and you start buying things in your head and actually buying things. So it's quite devastating when it does happen in a real shock because you don't think it will happen to you you know the statistics but you're I've never been in those statistics and these twins were kind of extra special to our family I suppose because dad was 
dying of a brain tumor at the same time. So it was all a bit much. And and I kept telling the um, scanner guy, like the, you know, this, these are really important babies. We have to, you know, my dad's holding on to see them. So that was really hard. I think the hardest person to tell was my dad, and he never cries, and he cried. So that that just kind of broke me really. But other people, I wanted to control how I told people and what they said to me. So I asked my husband to send out an email saying, don't ask me how I am. I'll know that you love me by reading this email and not asking me how I am. Just joke about anything. The sillier, the better. Tell me about how bad your day was. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear funny stuff, not I don't want you to ask me about me because I couldn't, every time I had to talk about it, it was always, it was, it was kind of a week to week thing. So you'd never know, you ha- might have to wait six weeks and then you're out of that kind of statistic and then you're into another one and then you're waiting to have your MRI scan to see if your survivor's got brain damage. Mm. So you, you really felt like every week there was something different to cope with and to wish for, but I didn't want to have to explain those stages mm. to people. So I found, I found that was quite a good way and it really worked actually. People knew what they were meant to do and they and they and they really didn't ask me how I was which was sounds like it was one but it worked it was what I wanted and then obviously that sort of day of of impending birth approaches how well prepared were you for the sort of unthinkable which is giving birth to one live baby who you don't know how well they're going to be and knowing that you're also going to give birth to a dead baby how how did you talk to the hospital were you well prepared for that yeah I don't well I didn't really I didn't think my hospital were great at all I didn't have any counseling or anything so I, I sought out my own a bit but didn't quite click with the counsellor until about the third one and that was after I'd given birth but I was quite strong-minded about what I wanted and I knew mentally I wouldn't be able to go through with a, a natural you know natural birth a vaginal birth but then the odd consultant would say, well, it's a singleton pregnancy, which was like a slap in the face, you know, I'd have to, and I'd have to say it's not a singleton pregnancy, it's a, an identical twin pregnancy, which is different, again, from a twin pregnancy, so, and more risks, and, and I said, it, you know, if, if you're going to push for the vaginal birth, I need to see the statistics on that, and, and with TTS, there's, there's barely any information so I ended up emailing some guy in Harvard and asking him, and he was really great, but he didn't know. So I, ju- I just kept saying, I'm, this, I'm not having anything other than the C-section, because I just wanted her. It wasn't about, it, even in the pregnancy, it wasn't about me. It was just saving her. Ever since we lost one, it was, I need to save, I've got to save her. And it went to quite dark places sometimes. I'd kind of think, if I can't save her, I, I want to go too. I want to be with her. So... I was. I had to be quite strong and say I want a C-section. I can't. You know, I knew mentally I wouldn't be able to go through with any kind of thing that could damage her in a way. And I, I felt there were more risks with a natural birth. I mean, maybe it's, that might not be true, but in my mind, I just wanted her out, safe, breathing, and in my arms. And and what about the preparation for giving birth? to a dead baby and that kind of conflicting, those conflicting emotions of that day. You know, on the one hand, you're celebrating the birth of a baby that lives. And on the other hand, you're mourning the death or the fact that, you know, you're seeing the baby that died a few weeks ago on the same day. I mean, that's got to be so hard. Mm-hmm. Well, I had, I had a doula, which sounds ridiculous for a C-section. <laughs> no, I had a doula like on my first birth. And she was lovely and she was a yoga teacher and she was just so calming. So I knew my husband's not great with the empathy. So I just thought I can't 
be sitting in a room for an hour, an hour and a half waiting for the C-section and getting the gown. I just thought it'd be great if she was there. And she came and she brought a Winnie the Pooh book and just started reading from that, which I didn't know what I wanted, but actually that was the perfect thing at the time, just reading a story. And there was silence and we were just listening to that. And then they came in, got the gown on and we went off. And, and was she in the, the, the theatre with you? No, was it was just there? my husband, yeah. And then it, it all went a bit wrong. She came out and she went, crashed and she stopped she wasn't breathing she's kind of purple so I thought well that's it we've lost her too so that I kind of gave up and thank god they brought her around and then we were in NICU but I, I suppose I'd prepared myself to meet Margot and I wanted to and the nurse I'd asked the nurses and then they told my husband you know not me a lot there's a lot of that that goes on I think you know protect the patient which drove me nuts so they told him you know that she's Margot doesn't look very good and it's not really a baby and then he told me that which aren't the best words you know it's not really a baby it's like well it's a baby so I just wanted to see her and they they were quite sweet and wrapped her up in a little blanket that my friend's mum had knitted with an M on it so we met her and she was all kind of flattened because people say different things to you and it was great to have there's a Facebook TTS site so I could write on there you know what will we lost her at 22 weeks what will she be like because people have said that your body will absorb her or there won't be anything left. So there were all these differing views that I was getting from doctors who, who, who were, you know, they're wrong. It doesn't absorb. And there is a baby. It might be a bit flattened, but I wanted to meet it. And I'm really glad I did, really glad. It wasn't, she wasn't in a great state to take pictures of, but it was, you know, you could see that little hand, the face, the feet. But <clears throat> I'm glad I can say to my daughter, I met her and, you know, she's almost made to feel like they don't exist and it, it formalises that they did exist, they were your baby, and you lost that. So, and I think it helps to have some finality to things as well. There'd be a disappearance if it went off and you never saw it. I think that acknowledgement is so important. I really do. You know, having had a stillborn baby myself, I mean, that's something I sort of fight for, actually, mm. a lot. And I'm sure some people look at me and think, oh, stop rattling on about your dead baby the whole time. But, you know, it's really important mm. that we acknowledge he existed and he's a part of our family, whether he's dead or alive. And, yeah. you know, it's not, nothing, it's not something I would have anticipated before I'd experienced that. But it's one of the things I feel most strongly about, actually, in the aftermath. Katie, I mean, you obviously had this experience a few years later, and I do think slowly hospitals are dealing with this better. Would you say that you were prepared well and you got compassion and support when you needed it? Definitely. When things started going quite wrong and the, the twins got TTTS, it was week 19 gestationally, so um, we got a counsellor given to us, basically, who then followed up the whole way through we had a slightly different circumstance to kitty because we had two operations and post those my uterus and womb couldn't really hold on so i actually gave birth at 28 weeks because my waters broke and that was then an emergency c-section so was i prepared for that no but i was prepared for the fact that they they might come a little bit earlier not that much earlier but a little bit earlier and I tried to work out whether a vagina or a c-section would be the best port of call we'd been um, advised that potentially a vaginal birth might be safest and that started to really panic me the idea of pushing out a dead baby and a baby who may or may not survive I think that whole process for a woman to sort of build up to is quite huge 
So we ended up having a C-section. We were well prepared by a, a counsellor in terms of what the baby might look like and the memory making that we could then start when the babies were born. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And so when Constance was born, was she whisked away immediately to the NICU? Yes, she wasn't born in a very good state, so she was ventilated. And then they put her on my chest for a cuddle for a few minutes with her ventilation, her, all her other wires and cables. And I didn't really know what was going on. I think I was quite drugged up by the epidural. But that was quite an amazing moment and one that really you can push for. And hospitals are starting to give mothers now even if the baby's not well when it's born. But Faith was taken away to be cleaned up, and then I was taken to a recovery room. Fred went up to NICU with Constance, and Faith came to me. It was a really special moment for me. I loved it, actually. I loved meeting her. I loved being a family with one of our babies for the first time, and obviously I couldn't be with Constance till the very next day. So it sort of started a new family for us within that tiny room. And did you ever have both girls together? We were really lucky because when Constance was in NICU and was more stable, they very kindly at Queen Charlotte's allowed for Faith to be brought up to the NICU to a private bereavement room and we got photos of them together. So it was very special. And how do you feel? I mean, like I said, there's all these conflicting emotions. Did... Did the happiness outweigh the sadness of the reality of that day? Or did you find that actually, even though everyone was telling you you should be happy, you actually felt more overwhelmingly sad about what you'd lost, even though you, this was no surprise? I don't actually remember, it sounds terrible, but I don't remember feeling happy mm. on that day. I don't think anyone's ever asked that question, but I don't think I... There just wasn't a happiness to it. It was almost a... There was a relief... That I, once she was in, you know, once she'd started breathing, that she was alive. I remember that relief because I thought it was all over. But it wasn't a flood of happiness that she was alive. It was relief that after all this, thank God, because because in a moment I thought, you know, everything was gone. So I definitely felt relief. But I think I didn't really feel happy in myself again for a long time very long time I felt love for her but but the joy which I hadn't really thought about but the joy wasn't there which is I mean you obviously have an older son he's mm. uh, Fred is, is two and a half years older mm. I mean 
did you feel that happiness when Fred was born? Is it totally? In- yeah, you're totally yeah. in love, and it's yeah. you know, it's th- there's a different feeling. Mm. It's shiny and kind of perfect. everything's perfect. It's kind of like being in love. Like mm. everything's just going better, and mm. you're walking out with the buggy and the baby and everything. The sun's shining, of course it is. And, and no one's telling you, "I'm sorry." <clears throat> yeah, everyone's telling you, "Congratulations," rather mm. than "I'm sorry." Yeah, yeah. It's, I think because you miss your future and you know what that was meant to look like, and now. In, I feel like I'm permanently on a different path, that I can see that other path. I can see what our family would have been like with Willa's sister. And it would have been complete. And we, you know, we decided, you know, when we told it's twins, it's perfect, it's great. That's it, job done, family's done. So, you know, we've, we've, we've continued, but it took me a long time to th- even think about getting pregnant again and back to myself. It, w- it wasn't the same at all as having Freddie. And how about funerals? Did you did you bury the girls? Did you what did you do, Katie? We did a cremation when Constance was actually still in NICU. There's a certain amount of time that they'll hold a baby in the hospital before they need to move them on. So I had an extraordinary kind of day where I started in NICU looking after Constance and then was at a funeral director's, which is somewhere where I never expected to be <laughs> sitting with my husband, having just given birth a few weeks ago to a beautiful babies and one of them sadly was going to be coming to this funeral directors but we did it and I got all our friends who were godparents to the girls who we thought about being godparents to the girls when they were both still going to survive to become godparents still to Faith and Constance and they all came to the cremation and actually it was a really special day I probably was still in a lot of shock so in a way my body allowed me to cope better than it might do now but it, it was lovely to see friends who I haven't seen for ages and and share not just the joy of Constance who was doing brilliantly in Niku fighting away but but also share the sort of joy of this tiny little faith who is going to be a huge part of our lives um, and and hopefully they will always remember her. How about you Kitty? Did Guy did the uh, arranging because I, I just wasn't I just couldn't have done that and I'm glad he did but he had to push quite hard there were, he, I remember him telling me they called through a few funeral directors and they varied from saying well there's nothing to cremate to well there won't be anything to cremate you know, before she came out we didn't, we didn't know what to expect so they said there's nothing to cremate or how could people be so yeah, sensitive <laughs> so that one was I'm, awful and he said I'm glad you didn't that have funeral that one. Director, I mean they deal with death yeah. and grieving people mm. the whole day mm. yeah we found one that was amazing and I didn't realise that I think they do part of it free which I didn't realize mm. until the book babies came. yeah which is so kind of them but the the ones we found were just or well not the guy found and I think they're behind Chiswick but they were they were so kind they they said you know you'll probably get maybe at best a teaspoon of of ash but if we if you add some teddies that were special to her that will that will create more so it's a very practical and you want practical stuff that you can do so we added te- we sent the teddies off and we, we were at the funeral place and, and they, they hadn't told us, but they automatically kind of upgraded the coffin which, um, because we sent too many teddies. But they were so kind of them not to ring up and make a big thing. Mm. You know, they just did it and gave us this bigger coffin. And, and then we had the um, ashes and I knew I wanted to put them in a ring. So we got a ring design. So I wear that now every single day. And it's got um, a stone from Guy's grandmother that we found that we thought was plastic and turned out to be a lovely sapphire. So, and then I've got, I designed it so there's kind of a circle, my ring, circle with the two 
Fred and Willa within the circle, and then outside of that is um, Margot Stone. So she's it's kind of a head and a thing, and and I wear it every day. And it's probably a lot of people comment on it, and so I stopped wearing it because I couldn't talk about it. But now, I think it's three years on, and I wear it all the time because I just love it. And my daughter knows it's her ring, and she she knows Margot's in there, so she knows she's going to get it when she's older, and sometimes comments on it. But. Yeah, that makes me feel happier when I wear it. It's, it's nice to have something close mm. to you, isn't it? Mm. Um, I've got a locket with a piece of Willem's hair in. Oh. But you're right, that I remember so well when I was still so so raw, I'd wear it. And I remember someone sort of, it's a really beautiful old locket, and someone picked it up and said, oh, that's lovely, and kind of took it. And then said, oh, was Willem, <coughs> Willem's one of your children? And I said, yes. And she's like, oh, how old is he? And I was like, mm. well, he's dead and <laughs> it was just sort of one of those really awkward moments and, and we were at a sort of dinner party and it was not the time for the dead baby conversation yeah, yeah, but at the same time I couldn't lie I couldn't yeah. be like oh yeah. he's four months no. old yeah. <laughs> do you have anything I like do. that actually the day that we went to the funeral directors I I said to Fred I really really want to be wearing something I don't know why it's today but I want to be wearing something t- to mark these babies and we have a wonderful jeweler called Ming who was so wonderful with us and we were on our way to the funeral directors and we just nipped in to uh, her studio and uh, she's the first person I broke down on actually and, and she's not a stranger we know her but not well and I think just it was seeing someone totally out of our sphere I was able to kind of crumble for the first time and say we were on the way to the funeral directors and we found two rings that had matching emeralds in and I've engraved one with Faith and one with Constance and Constance will wear them when she's older I hope. And I know it sounds really materialistic to be like well I've got jewellery instead of my baby and that makes me feel better but there's something about having something that's intimately close to you know a piece of jewellery is touching your skin it doesn't need to be some kind of priceless No. no precious stone Mm. it can be whatever but something that's small and subtle but close to you it somehow is actually a big comfort it was huge and it was so instinctive for me to to want to wear something that marked them and I think it's also almost nice to have something that is not ostentatious that as a family you know its significance but not everyone knows Mm. its significance Mm. it's that constant reminder to the people who matter Mm. rather than to the whole world because sometimes the shared memory is something that is close mm. rather than mm. for everyone mm. to experience it's more the ash as well yeah right? because we'd, we'd buried well, not buried dad he'd, he'd been cremated a few months before and th- that was quite strange it's, it's just weird you, know, you get like a poster tube of or it's bigger than a poster tube of this part and it does you know then you, you start shaking it out and it takes ages and I just thought I don't want that again this ash that sits about the house mm. or in an urn that I have to look at every day I, don't, I just I just don't want that I don't want to have to scatter something mm. somewhere again and then we picked the wrong place for dad and it wasn't moving water it's like in a park I think it's illegal but it's in a park <laughs> there's this little out, inlet that comes in and I don't think it really moves we kind of scattered him and then he was just there on top of the water. And I was like, this is mm. the worst. Like, what have we done? It might be a sewage outlet. Mm. What have we just done with Dad? I was like, so I didn't have any idea of where to bury her. And we thought, oh, well, should I put her in underneath a tree? Or, you know, well, I suppose we did that. We, Chelsea Flower Show was around the same time. And that was our anniversary. We went every year. And I couldn't go. So I, I got someone to buy me 
lots of irises and we planted those so every may they come up mm. and remind me so i think flowers are great to remind you you can it's usually something that flowers in the month that your baby's died i found um the whole burial thing very traumatic i didn't i initially thought i was like we need to have all my family there but logistically they all had plans and i was like well when can we do this and then i remember like the the week of the you know the burial the funeral I remember having a bath and just breaking down and being like, I can't do this. Mm. I can't do this. And I can't have all these people. And I was thinking, you know, as well as all the emotions, like I'm going to make a big fish pie to feed everyone and doing the kind of order on. And I was mm. like, this is ridiculous, Marina. You need to focus on your grief and mm. your family, not fish bloody pie. Mm. And I then, it was just me and Ben at when we buried Willem. And I remember dreading that, dreading that day because there was just nothing happy, nothing good about it. But once it was over, I felt this lightness. I felt so much less burdened because I knew I didn't have this thing that I didn't want to do Mm -hmm. hanging over me. But in retrospect, we buried him in the country where my my parents have a house. And the little churchyard is sort of in the middle of the village, close to our house. We go there the whole time. It's always on a walk. And it's so important for us Mm -hmm. in retrospect. It's something I never recognised, but the fact that we can go to his grave and think about him and pick flowers or leave sweets or, you know, they get, there's loads of chalk around there. So they'll often like sort of bring pieces of chalk and sort of write or, you know, and it's actually so important. It's something I never anticipated how important it was, but it's something I'm really grateful for now. Mm -hmm. A lot of twins, I think, I'm not sure if you're on the same Facebook thing, but you see a lot of people post that they take the survivor to visit the grave of the twin. And I'd seen that and I thought I didn't really want to... Because she wasn't there. She was there, but I just thought, I'm not sure if I'm making Willow... And because they're identical, I thought, I don't, I'm not sure if I want a, a physical place to go that, that could remind her of what she's lost that is identical, because... I think it's so strong a bond that as you grow up as a child, if you had this, you sometimes think if things are bad or if I had a friend or if you just lost your pet's friend or someone's you know, not being so nice to you. I thought, I don't want her in those situations to think if only I had. And I thought having a grave and a physical thing that we took her to might, might remind her that what could have been too often. So <clears throat> I suppose I've chosen to not, not commemorate it in, a, in an obvious way. We talk about it, but it's not. But there's still enough ash that if, if she wanted to do something like that, she can. Um, and I think when babies survive and then they've died or they die in the first couple of days, there's definitely a stronger sense that a parent wants a physical grave from what I've seen on, on, the, on the Facebook forum. Do you have anything, Katie? I created Faith and I asked for her to be put in a sort of beautiful little box and we have her on, on our Welsh dresser in the kitchen only because I don't know whether where we're living would be a permanent space that we'll be able to come back to and for Constance she's only eight and a half months old but I walk past the the pot of ashes every day and we say good night to them good night to faith whether or not that's the right or wrong thing to do I don't know but it feels instinctively good for us as a family to have Constance acknowledging her twin from now and you know babies are intelligent and perceptive and I would love her to grow up thinking that although Faith's not physically on this earth she's always got her back. 
And I think that is such a, you know, when you've got two twins and one has survived, one hasn't, you know, it's there's so much data on the kind of perception that if you are a twin that's missing a twin, there's something, there feels to be something missing. So you talk yeah, to, I, to Constance right from the beginning. You yeah, talked. I have. And with identical twins like Kitty and mine were, they share a blood supply. So I think Faith's in Constance all the time anyway, because Faith's blood got passed back to Constance, got passed back to Faith. That's how they operate. That's how they survive in the womb. So for me, when I'm talking to Constance about Faith, I'm also talking to Faith about Constance. And they, they have each other's middle names. So it's Faith Constance and Constance Faith. And so I find I found all those things reflective and helpful in the identical twin nature of the pregnancy in how Constance will be brought up with Faith. And Kitty Willer is now five. Yeah. <clears throat> and how often, you know, how much does she know? How often is, is, is Margot talked about? Well, we don't... I think what Katie said was beautiful about the blood supply. Because I sometimes think I heard that you, ha- you have a DNA or in your brain as a mother of, of the babies, the children that you've... Um, children that you've had so I used to think about that but with Will I I knew from reading about twins you know before before you have them before we lost her reading about twins and the the bond and I've got um we've got twins on my mother's side who are identical so I know there's these there's a strange thing that goes on like my auntie sent my mother the same present and one's in Australia and one's in Ireland but somehow they managed to send her the same makeup bag so I know there's kind of freakish things like that between twins that that can't be defined so and and every now and again on a twin as twins forum that I'm on there'll be someone who comes on and says I've just found out I'm a twin and I thought I don't want that happening I don't want some auntie or someone telling my daughter their secret that they're a twin and then she'll feel lied to so I I felt very strongly that there's nothing wrong with the truth there's never anything wrong with the truth and information is never a bad thing you can just package it differently as they grow up. So we've very much simplified it, just said that she wasn't, it, it didn't work out. She, you know, there was, something happened with the, the bloods and the, it didn't work out and she, she wasn't meant for this world and she's, she's not here with us, but we still love her and we talked to our son about it and we talked to Willa about it, but not too much. My husband didn't want me talking about it too much. So, I had to, so sometimes I'll talk about it when he's not around, but not very much. It will be just a you know, one, two minute thing because I want it to be passed by so it seems normal and something we just sometimes talk about. And it, she definitely understands it like that because she tells people I had a sister sometimes we'll get you know I get a mother emailing me saying I didn't know your daughter died and then I have to explain it was you know in in utero but but she very much feels like she had a sister and she doesn't mind people knowing that her sister died and she seems to only bring it up maybe every six months or I think it's when someone else is talking about their family but I I feel like I've done the right thing for us it's very different how everyone comes to terms with things so it might not be right for some other people and I mean I think probably bury them as well it's very different how you want to commemorate them it's and I think you have to be strong to do it your way yeah and even the funeral it was only me and my husband at the cremation and I felt that was the right thing because I just didn't want anyone else around but I think it's hard at that point to be strong and reject it's almost like rejecting love saying you don't want people at, at at the 
crematorium, but but what you want at that point in your life is very important to to stick to it. Mm. And I think too, you know, there's no right and wrong. There's no black and white. There's no kind of crib sheet to go, this is the right way to do it. This is the wrong way to do it. You know, we are not robots. We are not AI. Mm. We all have different emotions and we all cope with severely emotional episodes like this in totally different ways. And those may all be right ways. Mm. I mean, I do think... We're, we're, you know, you mentioned before people on, on the net, twin network you're on saying, I've just found out I'm a twin. I do think the fact that both of you have been honest from the beginning and that hasn't been a situation where you sit down and you say, right, I've got some news for you. Actually, you thought it was just you, but you did have a twin. I think it's really important to so that they grow up knowing that this was the case, that there wasn't this revelation. And so often on this podcast, we talk about how we communicate with children. And I remember years ago doing a, a podcast around talking to your children about sex. And we had a, um, a specialist talking and she said, you need to have your children growing up knowing about sex. And I think with all these sort of milestone conversations, it's one of many conversations that morphs as that child gets older. But I think there's a sense of if they are alive in some form of conversation, which could be every week, it could be every year, mm. that that lost twin is there in your conversation, that it just makes them feel a bit more present. Mm. At my children's school, we were raising money for a, for a bursary fund and we were all asked to, to uh, you know, donate money and put make a sort of brick in this wall that they're building with a child's name on and the idea was that every child in the school would buy a brick and I did one for Ludo and Iena but I also did one for Willem and we were sitting there this morning actually the bricks had just gone up there was a bunch of children waiting in the playground to kind of go in and they said well who's Willem my children were kind of pointing out you know there's Willem Fogel there's Iena Fogel there's Ludo Fogel and they said who's Willem and we had this kind of conversation in the sort of bright sunshine that is quite dark you know he was Ludo and Iena's brother who died but yeah I think it happened in sort of light way rather than the well it's a very sad story and I can't you know I, I could tell them brightly without without welling up and for me that you know I don't want to bring kind of the macabre into the playground but ultimately that's my life that's our reality as a family and you know he should have gone to that school but he didn't and but I still want him to have a, a brick mm-hmm. and little things like that which I know my father had a brother who died aged five and that was dealt with in a very 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 different way and there was no way my grandparents would have considered anything as ostentatious as that I don't think he even had a grave and yet I do feel that we've sort of come on in leaps and bounds in terms of sort of managing that grief yeah. I think bringing them into your life is 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 a lovely way to remember them and and keep them alive and when people talk about them which was nice to meet Katie and we talk about our babies that aren't here. It, it, there's not many people you can do that with. And obviously you don't want there to be more people in that situation. You wouldn't <laughs> wish that on your kind of yeah. worst. But you're right, having that kind yeah. of frank conversation that only people who've experienced that can have yeah. is yeah. so important. Yeah. I think I was saying to you earlier, it's, it's a quite a hidden loss with twins. With, with any baby loss, I suppose it's hidden. But with twins and one survives, it is hidden because... When you come out with your baby into the world, all the other mummies see your baby and you're one of them, but you're not because you're also part of a really sad and horrendous club of mummers who've lost. And it's very difficult to have both feet firmly in one club, both feet firmly in the other with twins, but I And then you feel you shouldn't maybe dwell on it so much as well when you've got this other baby to look after. You yeah. feel a bit bad sometimes for kind of thinking about it too much, but you can't help yourself. You know, with identicals, you're looking at one, 
and you know exactly what you've lost and as she grows older yeah because I think you always do that to yourself yeah and you you kind of it's almost like a punishment that you'll think of it again and it's it's like you're beating yourself up about it but you can't stop yourself doing it we 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 definitely try and keep it very matter of fact but information based which I think has really worked for Willa because someone said to her once um you you killed you know you killed your sister which she didn't tell us for maybe two three weeks until after they said and it obviously upset her but I said what did you say and she said about that there was a blood vessel that didn't work and so she knew some of the medical facts that he told her in bits and bobs so she knew it wasn't her fault so I felt really happy that she could come back to that child and say no I didn't and and um, also that she could felt that she could talk to you about it yeah yeah. You know, because you've opened that door and said, listen, if you need to talk about it, mm. I, you know, by modelling the fact that you can. Yeah. Well, she's in that, we, we commemorate, we, if we pass a church, like you say, you visit the grave, if we pass a church anywhere in the world, which sometimes in Italy we go there a lot, so it gets quite, there's quite a few sometimes, in one town there might be four, but if we pass one, we always go in and light a candle and the kids love it. And it's just a moment and then you get on with your day, which I, I like, I like that. Mm. Mm. Also, if you never did it, then when you did do it, it would sort of be a massive thing. Whereas because you do it every time you pass mm. a church. Yeah. So the fact that there's so many churches in Italy probably mm. actually really helps yeah. that sort of yeah. grieving process. Yeah. I think they just like lighting the candles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember for a while feeling extreme guilt that I had this survivor and yet her sister had died and, and that I sh- shouldn't really be allowed to grieve like a mother who's had a stillborn or a quick death or any other type of infant death. I, I didn't deserve to grieve as much because I was, had this beautiful survivor and I struggled with that for quite a long time and I, I'm getting there but I still find it quite, I'm almost a bit ashamed to bring it up and say this to pe- people that actually she did have a twin who didn't survive in, in case they sort of look at me a bit peculiarly or don't think it's necessary really to talk about. And did you feel that that was a, you know, that when you were in those early days that people felt that you shouldn't be grieving, you should be lucky, you should consider yourself lucky, you've got a living baby, that's more than a lot of people have. Did you find that sentiment was... I think there was quite a lot of at least... At least yeah. you've got one. Like, look at, let's grateful. look on the bright side. And actually, life doesn't work like that. You know, with every bright side, there's a shadow side. And we have to embrace them both. And I think the people that do achieve that are really well-rounded people because there's never just positive in life. And although sometimes the sadness can outweigh the positive or vice versa, eventually, you know, we're all going to come be tripped up or get hurt by life and... It's how you deal with it and be honest. Being honest about it has definitely been a huge blessing for me. The more I learn about grief is that it's not, it can't be cancelled out by happiness. You can't look and go, oh my God, well, I'm so blessed in other ways, so that makes it okay. Mm. You've kind of got mm. to live the grief and you've got to embrace that so that you can embrace the happiness. But it's not, you know, it's not like a set of scales no. where you can just like go on a great holiday and that will make you feel better. It just doesn't work mm. like that. No. It's like those affirmations, I can't stand them. <laughs> the grateful is kind of, and the amount of people that said, aren't you grateful? It's like, no, of course I'm not grateful. And, and then I started getting angry about that. And I think, well, so every now and again, I'd say, well, which one of, you know, you've got three, which one of yours would you want to 
you know, and then would you be grateful if you had the other two? It's just, it's the same way of saying it. And then I was told that was absolutely disgusting to say that. But it's what someone's saying to my face, you know, mm. you should be grateful. Well, it's a different you, way of thinking. Aren't you grateful you've got two, le- you know, left almost? It's like, well, still. I felt grateful for different things that, that there was a high risk she was going to be, you know, totally brain damaged and, mm. and not even able to feed herself, let alone move. So, I'm grateful for that, that in terms of statistics, we've landed in a miracle place, not due to anything, but just luck. But I, th- I think it's very difficult, ju- judging from how I've had conversation with friends as time's moved on from losing faith. It's very difficult for most people, definitely men, but to a certain extent women too, to understand how much... A baby, even if it dies in utero, can't affect a family or a woman or survivor. You know, people people can't possibly understand, and I, I think that that's really difficult going forward when you talk to people. If I go to dinner parties now, Faith's not brought up, obviously. Well, not obviously, but she just isn't, and I feel it. I want to talk about it, but people don't seem to think it would be something that's affecting me anymore because I have... Constants and times have moved on and people move on of course they do they've got their own lives to lead but for me it's still that thing really knocking on the door in my head wanting to come out um, but not having a place to say it unless I'm with people who've also sadly lost babies but that's why it's also important that you do occasionally see friends because you can have that permission to talk about the thing you want to talk about a lot mm. I remember feeling exactly the same way and I still do to some extent but it does get better with, mm. with time and I know that God, that's such a bloody mm. cliche, isn't it? When people go, oh, and my mother would always say, it, oh, you know, time is a great healer. And I was yeah. like... You don't want someone to tell you it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you just when want you're to right in the thick of the screen. Yeah. 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 But it's a... With TTS, it's because it's, it's an identical twin and they're in the same womb. I think people... When I didn't... You know, you, you don't really know what it is until you are pregnant with identical twins. So no one else knows, but... But people put it in the camp of a miscarriage. So when you say you've lost your baby, they assume that you've had some kind of miscarriage and they can, I think that's how they visualise it. But actually, you, you haven't lost the baby at all. If, you know, if you're lucky, in inverted commas, you, you keep hold of the baby. So you still carry them both. So in that moment, your womb goes quiet on one side. So you really feel the loss, even though you can't see it. And you really feel that they're still there because for me, it took quite a long time for... Willow to move and grow into the other side of the room where Margot was and you feel that happening and it's that's quite strange that it's like she's disappearing and so after I had the both of them I, I, I didn't lose weight I think it was a, a mental thing that I was doing on purpose but not really acknowledging but I didn't lose weight because I felt that I wanted to keep my belly like she was still there but she wasn't there so so there were kind of different stages of of the grief when you know and the day I started running again was almost saying to myself you know she's gone and I have to get rid of my <laughs> big belly's not gonna Isn't shift it itself you know I remember when it was like Ludo's I think Iona was just born and I went and bought them stockings and I I, I, we, I remember we always had these lovely like woolen stockings that were really stretchy so they could accommodate yeah. all the different presents but we had they had our initial on I have two sisters and I remember thinking that's what I want and I searched high and low and I found in the white company these kind of knitted stockings and I bought three because I always imagined <coughs> myself having three children and 
it long after the cot was gone and the you know baby changing table was gone I held onto that stocking it was at the bottom of my bed and even though I knew I wasn't going to have another child that was almost the hardest thing to let go and it's such an innocuous thing I only let it go this Christmas to my sister's daughter and that was such a big step that was totally private and and yet it's often these things you know when someone says what's going to be the hardest thing to let go of you're not going to go a stocking (laughs) but actually sometimes the tiniest things are the biggest things to sort of let go of like for, for me the scan pictures of the twins together I love them and I find them very hard to look at but I also it's it's it makes me remember and validates that I did nurture and nourish to the best of my ability these two lives and they they did exist together and sometimes I look at Constance and know that she knew Faith the best she knew Faith kicking around and touching her and being in there with her and you know I sort of dream up the sort of things they talk to each other about in the womb that's something for me that I hope I'll always hold on to, I suppose. I don't want to let go of it. Yeah. We did a 3D scan because you don't know if they're going to survive. So I felt I wanted to I wanted to show my dad, my daughter, or my daughters. And I also wanted to, if Willa did survive, I wanted to be able to show her her sister. And the scan was, it was really great. It was a 3D one, and it, but it just broke my heart when mm. you could see mm-hmm. Willa was reaching out for her sister. But I just... One day I'll show it to her, but at the moment I can't, I can't mm. even look at that. Mm. But I was glad I showed Dad and I told him what we were going to call Willa and they were going to be called Babs, Babs and Margot. They were going to be fantastic Babs and Margot. Wengraff, of course. Everyone will want them around. So, And I, we did the thing where Babs is now her, Willa's name. So it was kind of the name that the twins were meant to have. But I didn't, I didn't want it to be her first name anymore because it was like Willa Margot wasn't there. So we called her so Willa Barbara. Willa Babs, we call her a lot, but so we kind of commemorated it in the way, the same way in the name, which yeah. is lovely. How is it seeing identical twins? Because I mean, you don't come across them very often. You know, with me, I, I see babies the whole time, and you kind of there's. But does it feel like you come across all, them all the a lot? Yeah, it's that strange thing of once you start thinking about something, mm. they crop up everywhere, mm. or if you meet someone for the first time you suddenly see them everywhere I don't know if you've experienced that yeah. before but well, if you're trying twins, to get pregnant yeah, everyone's everyone pregnant yeah and mm. with twins I I see them all the time especially the identical probably because I'm more alert and aware of them than I ever would have been mm. and double buggies get me really oh, yeah. um big time <laughs> terrible thing. But right it's that back to that yeah. sort of unexpected thing yeah. that you 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 bought and then you couldn't have yeah. or dressing them like are they you can't say are they are they non-identical and you just dress them the same or are they identical? Because yeah. I'll, I'll be able to carry on with my day if they're non-identical and you just dress them the same. But you can't, you can't walk up to mm. a mum and kind of start interrogating her about. Mm. And then when they do dress them the same and they're not, because you can see they're non-identical, it's like, oh God, I wish you'd just, honestly, can you stop doing that? Just dress them <laughs> slightly different. Mm. It's difficult. We have, our best man was due with his identical twins the day before us. So that was all going to be perfect. And part of that other path that we're never going to get to in this, this, you know, and they were going to be friends, their boys and my girls were, you know, there would have been four identical twins. And, and of course, they're, my husband and his, they've been best friends since they were eight. So it was, you know, it was absolutely perfect. And then that is all over. So I found it very hard. I just couldn't. And she went through a difficult time. You know, she was in Niku. So I... It's terrible to say, but that almost made me feel 
for her again. Like I could see her again because there's no easy twin pregnancy. But I just found it took me five. So now they're at school with my Willa in the same class, Mm -hmm. which that was that was quite a lot to deal with because we've only ever been out for dinner. So I don't I don't see her sons because I it was just too hard. So I I knew they were going to come to the same school. So I I forced myself over the summer to to see them and and they're little boys and uh, and they've got their own characters and you love them and it wasn't such a big thing finally when I was kind of in front of it and faced with it but um, in my head I built it up so much that I couldn't do it and I really had to make myself do it and then I turn up on the first day of school and there's a set of identical girl twins in the class so it's it's just ridiculous it's of and then I think well that would be six in the class six identical mm. children which is bizarre it's like that's just not normal that you have so many and they're all in Willa's class but yeah on the street I see them all the time my husband doesn't he never seems to notice them but the taxi driver I don't know why they'll always tell me when I get in that they're an identical twin or, or a twin and they just seem to pop up it's like people are throwing them in front of you when I was going back into hospital with Constance for sort of further surveillance I bumped into a sort of um, vague friend that I'd known quite a while ago who was pregnant and going through the kind of special care pregnancy journey and actually it's been really good for me because I could support her and it was almost like okay twin pregnancies are such a challenge I really want one to succeed Mm. I really want this to happen for them and she's just had her babes and and they're in NICU but doing well and she sent me photos of them and I've actually really loved seeing them because seeing NICU tiny babies identical next to each other in a cot although it's not what I had I'm I am really grateful that some twin pregnancies do work because otherwise it would be so sad if everybody it's so hard because I think I didn't want I was aware that people didn't necessarily want to share their pregnancy news or their birth stories with me after William died but the fact that I was being then ostracized or being kept in the dark I have massive FOMO, like upset me more. Mm. And I remember actually very well, a really good friend of mine was pregnant. She found out she's pregnant like a couple of weeks after me and we were sort of pregnant together. And then when her little girl was born, I went to see her in hospital and I held her and she was the first baby I'd held since Mm. I'd held Willem. And it was actually a brilliant environment because her two older children were there. So I, I, I couldn't... I want to say I couldn't indulge my emotions, but I, I held her and I kept it together. And I, it was hard. And she was aware of it, but we didn't acknowledge it because it was, wasn't the right time with her children there. But I walked out of that hospital. I just felt so much stronger. I felt really proud of myself for having done that. And then that first had gone. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I then was that sort of fear of the holding another baby was gone. And I think if I'd, if I'd not embraced that, if I'd not forced myself to hold that baby I think that would have lingered and ultimately potentially taken away more of life than you know had I just confronted it but it wasn't easy mm-hmm. I think back to it and I want to cry mm. I remember being quite shaky but I think I think it probably is you know I suppose when you lose a singleton it's easier because you've got lots of other singletons who are around whereas with identical twins they're so much rarer even though they seem to follow you around. Yeah, and you're not going to get it again. That was the thing. It's kind of, as soon as we, I'd had them, I wanted to have another set, almost. Which, and I saw your sister, actually. She was great. And she said, give yourself time, and you've got to give Willa time, and she's a special one, so you've got to... 
allow the space to love her as she needs. You know, you've both been through a lot. And I, it, it was a, a rational chat that I needed rather than, oh, I'm just going to get pregnant for trying. And then people say stuff like, oh, you're just trying to replace the loss. And it's no, like, well, that's not I think it's what human I'm doing. I'm not that, it's not that basic. Yeah, you, you want to hold her. Like you, when I lost Margot, I wanted to hold my friend's baby. And then I thought, she'll think I'm really weird if I dash around. Like, she just had her baby. But I had a real urge to hold a baby and just cuddle something or buy a dog. And oh, That's what I did. Yeah. <laughs> I bought a dog. And it was amazing. You know, she was yeah. just great to have this little puppy that I could cuddle and cry into her fur. Mm. And, you know, she was amazing for us. Yeah, we've got a dog too. And she's, <laughs> she's literally been like the other baby in a way, you know, third baby. And what about birthdays? Because obviously that day that you celebrate, and actually for your little ones, it is important to celebrate. I mean, you obviously, Katie, haven't done the birthday mm. yet, although it's not far off. Mm. How has that been for you, Kitty? I, I think that's one of the hardest things, the year anniversary, I think. So now I write to, or I try and remember to write to my friends if, they, if they've lost a parent or there's some big loss in their life, because I think that is one of the hardest times again. And it's, it's once you've been through it, it's the week before and the day before that is harder than the day of and unless you've been through it you don't know that so I often write to people and say look it's going to be hard or I'll talk to the husband and say the week before is going to be the time when they'll need the support so take time off work you know the day is a different it's almost a relief when the day comes around and it comes and it's not and everything hasn't fallen apart when you've woken up and it's just another day but the few days before that, that's not what you're thinking. You're just absolutely dreading it. It gets darker and darker and you think yeah. it's going to culminate in darkness on the day. But actually, I feel that it's the lightness actually mm. on the day. Yeah, mm. it's quite strange. We, we thought we, so we had a party for Willa and I bought lanterns and I got Freddie to write on the lantern. And it was, you know, some people get a cake for their twin and they carry on doing that. I thought, I don't want to do a cake, but I thought I'll set off this lantern. But we're in a, we're in a Fulham back garden with kind of, houses all around us and how we'd had the birthday people had come around so it was really nice and it was happy and my mum was there and I was holding Freddie's hand and Willa's hand and my husband started lighting the lantern and then we kind of both held it and let it go and then it went up and then it went up into the tree and I'm like oh my god it's not coming out the tree and then thank god it came out the tree but then it went a little bit further and got caught on the trellis the oh next God. Day, it was flat, and then it started going up and the trellis was wood and it was starting to light and it was like what have I done I just I felt like such an idiot so why am I trying to commemorate my loss by burning down my neighbor's house and then it, it kind of it went off and then I thought oh geez like this is just ridiculous why didn't I think it through it's off to probably Bishop's Park half I think I'm stuck some kind of forest fire over in Fulham so we've never done that again. So now I just, it's like, that's kind of the best and the worst. So now I don't commemorate on the birthday anymore. We just, we just celebrate with her. Yeah. Oh, these I, stories are the only stories we can have. Like, yeah, it's <laughs> I'm classic. literally, I actually have tears coming out of my eyes with laughter. <laughs> yeah. I, I found Mother's Day really hard and that was not expected, maybe blindly by me, but I woke up in the morning thinking oh it's Mother's Day and burst into floods of tears and just found it so overwhelming and emotional that I was this mother to two babies and there's one gorgeous baby that again like Kitty said we're so lucky that touch which she is well but it just felt like there was such a big private loss that was hidden and I could never resolve 
Mm-hmm. And because obviously there's two anniversaries. There's the day that your babies were born, but there's also the day that your twins died. Mm. I mean, it's, this is obviously coming up for you now, the first one. Yes, Katie. I know. Yeah, I don't know how... I, I think I will... I think the birthday I will find hard and I will definitely celebrate Constance because she deserves it, even though she might not know what's going on. But and you I, deserve it too. Yeah. I think our first birthday is like a celebration of getting through that first I year. I think it will be a reflection of our first year and it's been incredibly tough. I, I, I can't lie about that. I've found it so overwhelming and I suppose getting through it will be a massive landmark of we've done it. We're a year on from when things was so odd and painful and stressful and we got through it. I found the first year the hardest and it definitely got so much easier after that first year was over. Did you find that, Kitty? Yeah, after the first year. It's, it's a kind of a milestone. It's almost... You, you feel that people don't necessarily want you to talk about it, but I feel like after a year, you don't have even that licence anymore to, to have the right to grieve. And then in my head, it was... Just, I knew other people who'd lost older children and I thought that's a much greater loss and something that I don't even know how they come to terms with that or, 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 or get up in the morning and, and live with that. So it, I, I felt that I couldn't go on to... I think it just gradually happens. You just... One day you, you stop waking up in the morning and thinking about all the what-ifs, if I'd done that, if I hadn't done that. If I, you know, you, they seem to stop being as regular which was part of the grief for me and the, and the pain in that and the punishment of myself. Mm. That's what I needed to start letting go of a bit. So I, you know, it's, not, it's not our fault, but you don't necessarily believe that and, until mm. some time has passed. Because as a mother, you think everything's your fault. I you think it's, very, everything and it's a very maternal thing. And I've, uh, again, I think I mentioned earlier the guilt thing surrounding you know, loss of baby in utero, be it miscarriage or further down the line or still born, you, 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 it's incomparable. And we, as mothers, sort of try and compare ourselves to other people who've lost and think, well, they've suffered more or less. And it's another way of beating yourself up when actually everybody's suffering is their own suffering and it doesn't make it better or worse or harder or should be gotten over sooner. But it's so hard to tell yourself that when you're in it. And I think what you know, you talked about the fact that everyone, you know, suffering is different, everyone's grief is different, everyone processes it differently. How did you find managing that between you guys and, and your husbands? Because I think that can often be tricky. Because you process grief in different ways. I mean, I certainly found that with Ben, he was sort of on fight and flight fight or flight mode when it all happened. And he wanted to make sure that we were okay in the immediacy. And he was very much into logistics. And then it hit him like three months later when I was sort of getting a bit stronger again is that is that what you guys had yeah I, I think my husband's he is very caring lawyer he's he's amazing but he does definitely have boxes and you put that in there and you shut the lid and that's that's done now or if we do these steps then that will fix that problem <clears throat> and it's not one of those kind of problems you can go through counseling and some more counselling and some more counselling on top of that. And I think he felt, when's the counselling going to end? And it did really affect our marriage. And I think there's some statistic I read about 50% of marriages after you lose a baby, break, break down and don't survive. And I, and I can see how that really happens. And because of things that happened at the time, 
things that were said. And I found it very hard to forgive him. And he wrote a letter to my daughter and put it in the, um, in the coffin and let me read it. And, and that, helped, that helped a lot for me to see that he, he was grieving because it, it wasn't really out, it wasn't an outward thing for him. He was very stoic about it and he just kept making the dinner and looking after me. But he, you know, he came in one morning after I think it was like day two or three and said, you can't mope about forever, you've got to get out of the bed. And it was like, I could barely stop crying. So yeah, I found, I just went to work really and kind of bottled it up and, and that work saved me. And he did the same, just worked. And we didn't really, we tried not to talk about it because it ended up in an argument. But I know that he, he's very rational, very organized. And then I suddenly understood in a counseling session that I wanted him to be emotional and empathetic and and talk about stuff and, and just let me talk about my feelings rather than trying to, okay, well, let's fix it this way. Maybe we should go on a holiday and that'll fix it and then you'll be happy again kind of thing. But once I understood that I love him for being organised, that I suddenly understood, actually, I can't just make him emotional and organised. It's, you know, he's got that trait, which is fantastic, and he's bringing that organisation to the funeral, finding the funeral director and all those kind of things. But he also organises the emotions and he's dealt with it in a way, in his way. And that's, that's finalised now and that's over in that box and he's moving on with his work. And So once I understood that, I, I, I felt a lot better that he didn't feel the same way as I did when I wanted him to. And you didn't blame him for that. No. Because that's the thing. If you sort of, you could interpret that as, well, don't you care? It's our baby. Mm. And there's this, I guess there's a sentiment that you, because you're both parents to the same child, you're both grieving the same mm. situation, that you should deal with it in the same way. But you're different humans and opposites attract. And, you know, actually it's better for our children that we're not, we've got different skills, that we've got, you know, that we are different humans. And I suppose it's about embracing and acknowledging that. Mm. Mm. And maybe it's a survival thing. You can't both not function at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. How about you, Katie? Did I think initially I kind of went into overdrive, let's get this baby in Niku, um, who's completely teeny and needed a lot of attention. Let's get her to survive. And that was my mission. And at home, I was pumping milk every two to three hours through the night to ensure that Constance could get that in Niku so Fred was sleeping in another room and it was a big mistake for for us as a family because it totally isolated our experiences and although I went into sort of mission overdrive keep Constance alive in the nighttime when I was on this pumping routine I wrote the blog because I couldn't access Fred to talk about what had happened with Faith and I needed to talk or write and writing was very cathartic and I think Fred was in a lot of shock you know he felt deeply for all of us I'm sure but the shock sort of sent him into mission get the house ready he sort of nested I suppose and was out doing lots of things he took the Labrador for about 10 walks a day which was kind of amusing but at the same time difficult because his attention was elsewhere and I was desperate for it to be on me and this tiny baby up in Niku and talking and embracing faith but he he couldn't he wasn't able to do that at that time and I remember getting really upset and angry and screaming at him across the kitchen and trying to get it to seep in but I think his way of dealing with the shock and the trauma and the grief was to close down for a bit and I had to respect that that's sort of one step in front of the other yeah and you know what there's something to be said about 
like as a this is possibly a really sexist thing to say but I do think that my husband feels a responsibility to kind of provide for all of us I mean I work too but you know he feels a responsibility to keep us safe to to make sure that we're all okay and when your baby dies like you failed haven't you as 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 and something that no one's given you that job officially but something you sort of vowed to yourself that you do and there's nothing you can do about that especially when you're in a situation like you you girls were where there was this sort of will this twin survive will they not and i guess they go back to then what they can control <laughs> which is earning money logistics organization making sure there's food in the fridge and dinner on the table or whatever it is and i guess rather than them ignoring you or not caring it's a way of them saying well i will do what i bloody well can and i guess that feeling of regaining a little bit of control mm. Mm. everything's out of order let's try yeah. and re-piece it back together but that thing about failure you mentioned is really interesting because it's definitely something that i've massively felt um, going forward into motherhood that because the pregnancy had failed to some extent and also been an incredible success on the other hand in motherhood I felt this huge sense of pressure for things not to fail again for me not to fail as a mother and part of the grief for faith I think has come out in that how can I best protect and be the greatest I can to Constance and and with that comes a sort of element of perfection and you cannot be the perfect mother there's no such thing and with that then a huge amount of anxiety which I've really suffered with and I think that that's been the overriding outlet for my grief and anxiety to maintain and contain and make Constance okay and make her nest okay and make sure that I'm doing everything I possibly can and it's nearly broken me because you can't be the perfect mother, the perfect human, the perfect wife. It's not possible. But also, I was reading something really interesting recently, and they were talking about how, you know, we know that perfectionism is is quite toxic, but also if you bring your child up as the perfect parent, and if you're always, you know, measured and calm and kind, and you say the right thing, and you never raise your voice, and you always give them the perfect meals, you're essentially making them grow up in an environment which they think that's life then isn't it it's not real and it's not because you know what they will eventually go out they'll go to school and they'll encounter the bitch in the year Mm. who's not always perfect they'll encounter the grouchy teacher and as they get older they'll be exposed to more of that but you haven't then equipped them to deal with it so actually I slightly seek solace in this as I'm Mm. sort of screaming across the house to my kids (laughs) (laughs) I you know actually demonstrating that People aren't perfect, no. but we try. And when we screw up, we apologise. We hold our hands up and go, that was really bad behaviour. Mm. And I'm really sorry, because actually that is more important to model and to teach your children to, you know, embrace than that kind of constant cookie-cutter mm. perfectionism. Mm. Yes, I think the, the perfectionism that I'm suggesting is to do with keeping the baby alive and yeah. safe and protected. And then that it spirals out into mm-hmm. other sort of cookie cutter molds which which don't exist and shouldn't exist you know um, they grabbed gradually dropped off but at the beginning it was quite heightened that mm. something's going to kill her something's, mm. gonna, something's going to happen if i have the wrong you know that the nanny put the wrong blanket on her and it wasn't the one with the holes i i that that would make me really think this person doesn't care about willa they they don't care if she suffocates and it, it kind of went to instead of being rational it was 
Yeah, you're thinking that they shouldn't be in your house because they can't care for her properly. They're going to end up damaging her. Yeah, yeah. And then I think that comes up with me, with, with um, particularly with doctors now, because we didn't, we had some things that that could have been a lot better and you know potential for for saving Margot, but you never know. But now I'm paranoid if someone does anything wrong, like spell a name wrong, like happened before. So with this pregnancy, I've, I've written a paragraph so I can give it to nurses and say, look, this is what happened in a previous pregnancy. I, I'll be quite jumpy about it, but I don't want to have to keep explaining because they ask you about your, your previous pregnancies and you have to explain it again and again. And that's, it's too much to go through. So I've written it all out on a piece of paper and I just give that to them. And I say, if I'm, if I'm picky about things and I ask you questions, it's because it helps me feel that you care for me properly and that's just how I am now which is extremely jumpy I think with mm. people and then I, I I've passed it on to my children a bit that when they're at doctors I say if there's anything you want to ask them and if they don't I say why don't you ask them about this so they know that they can ask questions and and determine their care because I want them I want them to have that confidence um yeah but and you're sitting bit. here 20 weeks pregnant 20 weeks pregnant your fourth child mm. how's I mean are you finding this pregnancy stressful or is this a sort of blessed relief that no, it's uncomplicated no, this stage it's it's better but um I think that explaining of your past is is, is difficult because we we actually have one before this so it's kind of it's almost like you're losing yeah. count like I said the fifth fifth, fifth baby yeah. but um the one before had Edward syndrome so she she, um, she wasn't going to survive so we we had to get rid of her but so it's, it's like it's just too much death. It's like I've got to explain one after another. And that, that was all too much when people were taking my details at the beginning. And I, I think I took an hour and a half to, in the first appointment to get them all out. Which, mm. And I said to the nurse, I'm fine, I'm fine. I don't need any counselling. And the midwife, and I saw her again recently, and I was like, oh, okay, I don't know if you guessed, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't fine and you were right to offer me counselling. But now I am myself. But the longer it goes on, the, be- the much more confident I am but um, yeah at the beginning it was kind of you imagine it's just not going to work and that another pregnancy won't be easy again yeah. do either of you wish that you'd done anything differently in your experiences either in the sort of pregnancy part or dealing with grief or dealing with the reality of giving birth to a, a live baby and a dead baby is there anything that you look back on and think oh, I wish someone had told me that or I wish I'd known about that is there anything I think the giving birth to a dead baby, I'd prepared quite well, and the hostel had prepared me well for. And so, identical twins' pregnancies are there's things that happen in them that won't happen with other, and they say things like it's a high risk, and that goes into your head, but it doesn't really go in deep enough because you're buoyant on the fact that you're going to have identical twins, and they've got this bonus child. That's amazing, and oh my god, I can dress them the same, and have this buggy, and you plan, you know, you're you're already not listening to them by the time they've told you. But there wasn't enough for me. I think you got really good information about TTS, but I wrote off to Tambor, and then my husband left the letter on his desk, and it just got covered up by other things. So I think if if I did it again, I'd have the symptoms of TTS on my fridge. Yes. Um, how how hard I, your belly goes I didn't know the symptoms of the syndrome and I had them all but I was too frightened to bother the hospital which I think a lot of people are with the NHS you know there's 
they've got so many people going in there and asking things of them. I just didn't want to bother them, and I didn't think you know our case was as stressful as it could have got. And they're so rare. You need you need a specialist because. Yeah. Even now on the TTS forum, people come up and, and they've been told to go home from the hospital. Mm. And, and all of us who've had to, you know, we kind of pile in and say, you've got to go to any now. Mm. And you've got to tell them your baby's dying because it's critical the speed at which you get, you got the laser treatment, which, which, can, which can mean that brain damage or 35% chance of getting brain damage for the survivor goes down to 5%. But I, I didn't get that. So that, I suppose that's the one thing that I was always annoyed about, that I, I knew we should have been, you know, I, I thought I'd read somewhere that we should be scanned every two weeks. And, and I told the doctor and he, he said, I oh, know you're fine, you know, we're going to do it in three weeks. And it was at a critical point. And, and that if we had gone the week earlier, we would have been caught and got the laser, potentially, mm-hmm. I don't know, or, or the laser might have, you know, might have meant that they both died. You, you never know, but... But it was things like that, that those are the things that run through your head. What if? The what ifs. And I think if you're aware, you almost become, we've talked about it, you almost become a, a, your own doctor mm. and you start looking up research and Googling and they don't want you to Google, but... I was looking up medical essays and bringing yeah. things into the hospital that they didn't even know about, check, mm. check about, because I was just desperate, really. Yeah. And you're trying to work out what's going to happen. Mm. But I think for me, I found a couple of angels in my pregnancy, and you were one of them letting me come to the antenatal and your sister. And then there's Kipros Nikolaidis, who's a TTS expert, who we bumped into after it all happened. But he, he said, this is what's going to happen. But where other people would say, well, it's too early to tell, and then you're left in a limbo and you don't know. But I think information and finding out the information and and saying to the doctors, I, you know, I want to know this. Can you tell me the worst case scenario and the best case scenario? For me, that made me calmer. But I wish that I'd looked into that I'd had those symptoms. I think on my on my mm. fridge, and and I I wish for other women who've got identical twins that that they they are. You've got to be confident, and sometimes tell a doctor they're wrong. You know, and I did tell the doctor he was wrong about the three-week scan, but it was I, too late. I the same had, at the crucial point, a three-week scan rather than a two-week scan just because there wasn't a session available for me to be scanned on the system, and it's my biggest regret. But mm. then it may still have been that I was at stage 2 TTTS. Mm. I had the laser, and one of our babies got brain mm. damaged, probably because of the laser. So it's catch-22. And you're a lot, when you've got all these hormones, you know, progesterone, it just, just makes you a much nicer person, or it makes me a much nicer person. I'm less likely to question people when I'm pregnant. So the normal me, unpregnant, questions everything. But I think they, there's a tendency with some doctors to say, oh, well, you know, they, one nurse said it to my face when we had another scan after it had happened. She said, well, we don't like to tell, you know, we don't like to worry the mothers. And I thought, well, you know, from my own company, I've got a degree. Like, what kind of mothers are you going to tell if you're not mm. telling those mothers? Mm. Like, I'm, can you not tell me? Like, I think I've got the ability to handle information rationally and work out for myself, right, this is where we'll be best cases. Mm. But you want that information. I think doctors do a disservice sometimes thinking that they're protecting you from something when information, for me, is never, never a bad thing. So the more I learned about it, the the better I felt and I just the regret is that I wish 
I think I contacted Tamba sooner. Um, I didn't know about the TTS forums on Facebook. Mm. So any of your friends, if you have someone who's having an identical twin, encourage them to join a TTS forum, mm. even though they haven't got TTS, because it is one of the biggest things mm. in identical twins. I think it's like 25% mm. likelihood that it's going to happen, which mm. sounds massive. But when you're pregnant, you just think it's not going to affect you. Mm. And in terms of sort of resources, I mean, you've mentioned a few of them, the TTS Facebook page and the Tamba. Obviously, there's your blog, which I've got to say is just, it's heartbreaking, but it's also searingly honest account of what happened to you. And I think sometimes it is really comforting mm. just to mm. to read. Remind me where people can find your blog, it's Katie. www.faithandconstance.com. And are you updating it? I actually will update it in due course with, with what's happened since I'm sure most people don't want to know. But I think that the throes of motherhood, when you've got a loss running alongside it, and for me, I was a new mum. So I think I would like to document some of the emotions, the anxieties and the stresses that I've gone through in the hope that other people who are feeling them know that someone else has felt them too, because... That's given me huge solace, and Kitty has helped me hugely with that. And, you know, I put you two in touch about a month ago, and it was so lovely. You walked in here today like great friends. Mm. I could just see that closeness and camaraderie mm. between you two, and it honestly, it just made me so happy. Mm. But it is like a sort of fast track, isn't it, mm. to closeness and intimacy if you can share an experience that so few people have experienced. So I guess getting in touch or asking if any of your friends know of someone who has experienced the same thing. And I mean, what I found was that not everyone wanted to talk about their loss in the way that I did. But, you know, I had one friend who absolutely didn't want to talk. And then I remember another friend who, again, you know, wasn't a great, great friend, but she said, why don't you come over to for tea? And we sat down and we talked for about three hours nonstop. And it was so helpful mm. for me just mm. to talk to someone about a shared experience that none of my, other of my friends had ever experienced. Mm. Mm. It's strange, you think that it might, my husband, when I was going to meet Katie, he said, is that a good idea? Meaning, I don't think you should do this. Is <laughs> what he was really saying. And I said, well, I'm, I want to do this. Meaning, you're not going to stop me, we're going to have a massive argument. So that, <laughs> that's the end of that. And, I, and it was, and I didn't know how I'd feel. I thought it could, you know, because I was in quite a good place as well. And it took a long time to get there and being pregnant again. But actually it was, it made me feel good being able to talk to you and say this, you know, there is an ending to this. Mm. There is an out and a, a lifting that happens so gradually that that one day you turn around and you're, you realise you haven't cried for maybe three, four days and you feel better about yourself mm. for that. And and that, it, I felt that helped me being able to tell you that. Yeah, it helped me usually too. Well, thank you too. It's been an amazing conversation to have. And thank you for being so generous with your time and your emotions and your stories because I know it's going to be a huge help to people. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you all for downloading another episode of The Parenthood. It's not always easy to hear this conversation and it's certainly never easy to have them. But it's brave women like Kitty and Katie whose honesty help other women get through a situation they just don't know how to navigate. If you've liked this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us. It helps the podcast find new listeners by boosting us in the charts. For the day-to-day stuff, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm at marina.vogel. You can see what I'm recording. And let me know what you want to hear next. But in the meantime, from all of us, thanks for listening and goodbye.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.